You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. I must therefore never talk about the idea of living the holy life because it is simply a good life, and of course it is, in and of itself. Rather, my only reason for being holy is that I am a child of God, we've already established that, and that I am destined for glory. And that's the way that we need to approach this subject. Holiness is not an end but a means of glorifying God. As Pastor Mike will warn you in today's message, there are some churches that push a doctrine of holiness as a way of maintaining salvation. They put far too much weight on our behavior and performance. Your salvation was secured by Christ on the cross. You are already holy because of what He did for you. Your life as a believer should reflect that inner holiness. But you don't have to perform in order to keep it. Christ has given it to you eternally. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 3 as he begins his message, Holiness. I remember what you said, you return that I might live in my Father's house. Open with me to 1 John chapter 3. And verse 3 is the text that we're going to be treating this evening. So 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. And this evening's title is simply holiness. Holiness. So that's what we're going to be talking about this evening. And I bet you that you're going to hear me say some things about this subject of holiness that may be foreign to some of you. But it's my desire and hope for all of us to gain a new perspective on this subject. And that the subject that we're going to be treating this evening in this message will lend itself to our being a little bit more holier, because that's what God is wanting to work within our lives and into our lives. So with that said, let's go ahead and read that verse of Scripture. So 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. So everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now I want you to think about this. This verse here in verse 3, what's the very first word of Verse 3, end, right? A-N-D, end, reminds us is one that is intimately connected with the previous verse. If you think about it, they're actually bound together, verses 2 and 3. For in verse 2, and that was a part of the text that we treated last time, we were given a vision of glory, how that we as God's children are destined for glory. That is, at the coming of Christ, For his church, 
And that's the hope that John is referring to here in verse 3. It's known within the church, within Christian circles, as the blessed hope. That is Christ coming back for his church. But now it's time to come down from that mountaintop experience and translate that vision of glory into daily practice. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the subject of holiness. You see, if that vision that we were given, if it doesn't lead to that, that is holiness, then we're actually abusing the scriptures or certainly misinterpreting, misunderstanding the scriptures. Notice the way that John puts it here. Verse 3, let's go back to our text. Not in an argumentative kind of a form, but rather as a conclusion. And that's where that word end comes in. He's drawing a conclusion. Let's read verses 2 and 3 together. Let's put them alongside of one another. Beloved, that's who you are in Christ. Now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then he goes on to declare in verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So as far as John is concerned, there's no need to discuss it. One follows the other. It's like night that follows the day. If you have this hope, that is the blessed hope, then you're going to do everything that you possibly can do to build this virtue within you that is holiness. Therefore, this third verse is one that comes to us as a very real and very sure test. Because the extent to which I have really grasped the teaching of verse 2 is proved by the extent to which I implement verse 3. We can put it this way. It is what we are and what we do that really proclaims our belief and our profession. Let me suggest what this looks like. Christians are to be someone, a people who are happy, who are joyful, who are grateful, rather than someone who is always complaining or is always disgruntled. A Christian is someone who is to be living in victory, getting ready to meet Jesus. He is not someone, or she is not someone, all tripped up in sin, looking for fulfillment in all of the wrong places. You see, they go hand and hand. That is, if we have this hope, we're going to give ourselves to this virtue of holiness. Now, with that said, I think we ought to spend some time in talking about what holiness is. And there are different aspects, the first of which is, and if you're taking notes, write this down, holiness is something that follows and is an inevitable deduction from doctrine, from an understanding of our position as Christians. Now, what I'm about to suggest to you may sound foreign to some of you, maybe something that you've never even considered before, but I want you to open yourself up to this kind of an understanding. You see, it is after the New Testament presents its teachings and doctrines on the subject of holiness in terms of this great truth concerning the blessed hope. Do you see how they, they go hand in hand? One follows the other, as I've already suggested. It is after it has told us 
what we are, what lies before us, that the New Testament brings in this doctrine of holiness and sanctification and Christian behavior. So, I must therefore never talk about the idea of living the holy life because it is simply a good life, and of course it is, in and of itself. Rather, my only reason for being holy is that I am a child of God, we've already established that, and that I am destined for glory. And that's the way that we need to approach this subject. And if I do not practice holiness in those terms, I will sooner or later inevitably go astray. Because you'll never secure holiness in any other way other than approaching it from that perspective. That's the problem with some of the church today. They've made holiness a thing of itself. Then they produced all of the rules and regulations, paying too much attention to little details. Christians dress a certain way. They talk a certain way. They do this, that, and the other. They kind of regiment their way towards acquiring this holiness. You become legalistic if you do that, and self-righteous because you're carried out your duties, and they forgot the real object for which they originally set out in the first place. So that's the first aspect of holiness, something that I want you to think about. Another aspect concerning holiness. Holiness is not something we are called upon to do in order that we may become something. It is something we are to practice because of what we already are. We've already established that. John has already established that in his teachings leading up to the subject of holiness. I am not to live a good and holy life in order to become a Christian. Rather, I am to live this kind of a life because I am a Christian. Have you ever thought of it like that? I am not to live that kind of a life to enter into heaven. I live that kind of a life because I know it's my destiny to spend eternity with the Lord. God is going to take me there. Of that, we may be certain. We've already established that. We've already uh, looked at a bunch of cross-references that address that subject. I know I am going to meet God. Isn't that what John tells us here in the previous verse in verse 2? So therefore, I must prepare to meet him. Now, also, and under this heading of the different aspects of holiness, something else I want you to consider. I also must never think of holiness as a kind of higher, happier, or holier life, which we are meant to enjoy as Christians, and into which I ought to be entering. I should rather regard it as a life to which all Christians are inevitably called, and which every Christian ought, therefore, automatically to be living. You see, there's no such thing as two types of Christians. You know, the ordinary type, and then there is the one with the double blessing. There's no such thing. Holiness is applicable to all Christians, not something which is kind of extra. It's the norm flowing out of the life that is within us, that life that God has put within us. And it's an expression of what we have already received. And let me also give you 
something else to think about as it relates to the subject of holiness. Holiness is not so much something we receive as a gift. It is rather something which we work out. Okay, now I got your attention. Because many of us, most of us, think of it as some kind of a gift that's imparted to us by God. It's not something like you go to a service like this one and we're addressing the subject of holiness. That's the title of this evening's message. But before you walked in the door, you weren't living a holy life. So it's not you go to a service, you go to some kind of a meeting without it, and then suddenly you get it. You know, some kind of an exceptional blessing. The position rather is, I am reminded of the doctrine. What doctrine? I am a child of God. And John has been drumming that into our heads. I am a child of God. He's been reminding us of the inheritance that awaits us. He's given us a glimpse of the vision of glory that awaits us. And so John says, in effect, in light of all of these things, proceed to work it out. Purify yourselves even as Christ is pure. That's the conclusion that he comes to. That's the exhortation. That's the teaching. Therefore, it's not a gift received, but it's something which I must work out and put into practice. In the book of Philippians in chapter 2, let me give you a cross-reference. In verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. And so work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, be careful. Put everything that you possibly can into working this out. And because of that, you simply work it out. It's not some mystical experience. I sprinkle you with fairy dust or lay hands on you or breathe on you or all of the other crazy ways that the church suggests we get hold of this virtue. It's not some mystical experience that suddenly comes upon us, but it's the outworking of the doctrine and truth which we claim to believe. And again, you know, you know, the side note, I don't have this in my notes, but this is why it is so important that we spend time regularly studying the Word of God. Because it's there where God reasons with us, convinces us that we need to have this virtue worked out in our lives. And therefore, we give ourselves to it. All of the things which we claim to believe, which John has been talking about from the very beginning of his epistle in chapter 1 and verse 1. So then, men and women who have this hope, John tells us, purifies themselves. Now let's talk about this word purify, what it means, what it doesn't mean. And we're going to look at it in contrast to another word in just a moment. Well, that other word that I'm referring to is cleanse, because John uses that word cleanse also, but there's a difference between being purified and cleansing oneself. The word purify is different from the word cleanse. Let's go back quickly to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, where he uses that word when we were first introduced to it. It says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the difference between the two is one is an external action, okay? He's going to cleanse us of all of our sin. That's an external action. 
And the word purify has to do with that work that God does within us. It is an internal action. And therein lies the difference between the two. To cleanse is to deliver on the surface from evil and pollution and all that is unworthy. Purification, on the other hand, is something that happens within us, in the spirit of man, and in the mind, and in our essential nature. It's not only getting rid of the tarnishing effect of sin upon me, but also it helps me to avoid sin in my whole nature and being. So as a Christian, I purify myself. Now, we're going to talk in just a moment. That'll bring us to our second point. How do we go about this purification thing? How do we purify ourselves? Because it seems as if John leaves it to ourselves. Hang in there. Hold on to that thought. We'll get to it in just a moment. Now, so the idea here is I'm not only trying to separate myself from the sins of my past. I shun sin. I avoid sin. This is what this looks like. I'm striving to be like the Lord himself. I am positively and actively pure, even as Christ is pure. That is the whole idea of this word purification or purify oneself. You see, it's more than just the idea of cleansing and of getting rid of the effects of sin upon the surface. So people who are concerned about purifying themselves are those who want to be like Jesus. And I know that's your desire, right? So I just want you to think about that. You know, what drove you here this evening? At least I hope a part of the equation is that you want to be pure, even as Christ was pure. That's your desire. That's why you're here this evening, to be changed, to be transformed into his image. It's a purification process. We simply want to be more like Jesus. We as Christians don't want to be a little bit better than obvious sinners in the world, nor a little bit better than we once were. We want to take it so much further than that. There, our whole idea is to intensely, positively, and actively become that kind of a person. We say, I want my nature to be such that I shall love the light and hate the darkness. And that's one of the reasons why we come to a service like this one, as we study the word, right? It's not just sight of a sense of duty or because we're Christians we come to a service. We want to experience this transforming power of God's Holy Spirit working in us. We want to work together with him in concert to that end. We want to come to that place where, in fact, we love the light and hate the darkness. I want to be well-pleasing in God's sight. So that, according to John, is the feeling of the men and women who truly understand the promise of the glory that yet awaits them. Okay, so with that said, it brings us now to our second point. I just laid out a lot of stuff for you to consider and think about. So how do we go about doing this? In other words, how am I to purify myself? And don't misunderstand where I'm going with all of this. The Holy Spirit works together with us in this great work. But nevertheless, there's still our part. And so we want to address that subject. What is our part? So how am I to purify myself? Well, let's for a moment go back to verse 3 again. According to John, notice, 
the terminology that he uses here, it's an active process. And it seems like he puts the responsibility upon us. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. So it seems as if it's almost completely left to us to work it out. But the first thing that I want to draw your attention to, that this is not something that's passive. This is something that we have to aggressively seek after. We do not just simply submit to purification in a passive kind of a way. The emphasis is placed upon activity. And so the idea, oh, you know, and we hear this a lot. Oh, you know, we need to just simply surrender ourselves and then this life will come in. You know, and a lot of people just leave it like that. But listen, folks, let me tell you something. You're never really going to experience it the way that God intended us to experience it. It's not the way that it happens. You know, I'm just going to surrender myself to the Lord, and then all of a sudden we're going to be holy. No, we have to work at it as well. We have to apply ourselves. It's more than just simply, here I am, God. I'm available. The God will teach us. He'll give us the how-tos, that the steps to take. But there still are part in all of this. In 2 Corinthians, here's a couple of cross-references for you to ponder. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 7, in verse 1, therefore, having these promises, Paul is referring to the promises that he recorded in that epistle written to the church at Corinth. We're dealing with a different epistle entirely. We're dealing with John's exhortations and all of the promises that he mentions, but nevertheless, they're one and the same promises. Beloved, Notice he uses the same word, beloved, even as John used in his epistle. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. This responsibility is laid upon us. We know this. God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us to do this. But, you know, you have to take an aggressive action towards that end as well, from all filthiness. you got to be real careful about the places that you visit, the things that you watch on TV, the books that you read the people that you hang with, all of these things. That's your part, you see. This is what I'm talking about, aggressively seeking after this virtue. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. The Holy Spirit will give you the strength to do this, but he he only goes as far as not interfering with your free will. Do you understand that? It's not something passive. You come into a service, like I said, now does this make a little bit more sense where I'm going with all of this? I'm so thankful that we have the Holy Spirit in us, the anointing and the ministry and the processes of the Holy Spirit, sanctification, regeneration, and all of that. But he only goes as far as not to interfere with our free will. There's a choice that we have to make. So let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the reverence or the fear of God. Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We invite you to connect with Pastor Mike and listen to more teachings from God's Word by visiting harvestnyc.org. At our website, you'll learn all about his ministry and the church it stems from, Harvest Christian Fellowship. 
We'd love you to join us for worship this Sunday at 11 a.m. You can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, though, or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out the link under Resources for One Place. Just click on the earphones to listen in. You can also watch other services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. How can we be praying for you right now? Feel free to fill out the contact form at harvestnyc.org. We're honored to lift you up to the Lord in prayer. Thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.